So I'm here with Father Ken Geraci. He is a Father of Mercy, and you've been taping with Johnette uh, this week. And your topic is Why Be Catholic? This is a favorite presentation of yours. It's retreat. my favorite presentation. Yeah. Why be Catholic yeah. when you can be anything else? Yeah. I think it's the most important question in this world today. Right. Yeah. And so tell us. You want maybe we'll start with your own story, okay. your own conversion story. Yeah, because yeah. I wasn't always Catholic. I mean, I was. Yeah. I was catechized and, and yeah. baptized. Uh, I always say there's three types of Catholics. There's the sacramentalized, sacramentalized, and catechized. Then sacramentalized, catechized, then evangelized. Right. And and of that threesome there, I was only sacramentalized. I knew mm-hmm. nothing about our faith and. We went to church every Sunday. Uh, I think, much like your story, mm-hmm. we would never miss Mass. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but that was it. That was the extent of being Catholic. Yeah. And uh, went did all the worldly things and fell away from faith in uh, high school. Uh, my parents' marriage began to fall apart. And mm-hmm. um, when they separated, uh, I began to play mom against dad and gave up faith and religion altogether and just mm-hmm. embraced agnosticism. Mm-hmm. So. And what did you study in college? Well, I got a business degree. Uh, I thought money was going to make me happy, and so, you know, that was going to be the path. Uh-huh. You know? And so you, in, in college, you'd, you quit going to Mass? or Yeah, I quit. I basically quit Mass as, as soon as I possibly could in, yeah. in high school. And then in college, I didn't even know, I just didn't know anything about faith, didn't even show up on my radar uh, until my senior year. Uh, it was my senior year of school that I was recruited out of school to go to work for a uh, advanced research and development group within a large uh, company. And this is 1998, and we were doing primary market research on MP3 players and ebooks. Mm-hmm. And so we were really right there on the cutting edge of technology at the time. And uh, it was my boss that, uh, through our relationship, uh, he kind of challenged me one day. Um, mm-hmm. We were working on. Um, another startup company on top of working our paying jobs and totally different than what we were doing. And we were working nights and weekends for about eight months. And he approached me one day and effectively said to me, uh, professionally, Ken, I have no problem with you, but personally I do. <laughs> yeah, it's great lead in. Um, and he, he went on to say, he says, you know, when we're with clients or investors and you see a cross or a crucifix, you make a Christian reference. But you've told me you don't believe in God, you don't pray, you don't go to church, and some of the stories you tell are unbecoming a man, let alone a Christian. And I'm just curious, which is it? Mm -hmm. And so the first domino to fall in my life was the call to authenticity and integrity, just to simply let my yes be yes and no be no. But he went one step further. He invited me to come to Mass with he and his family. Ah. Yeah. And what happened when you went to Mass? (laughs) Went to Mass and... Uh, sat there and, and uh, watched his kids squirming. He had five kids, and one of them made a shot for the altar clock. And he had to literally jump over a pew and grab the kid by the leg and <laughs> brings the kid up like a bass. And, and, uh, uh, and I love that story. Not, I mean, it's funny, but, but it's uh, more so because it's, it shows how messy an ordinary life is. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, you know, and Mike still to this day is one of the most intelligent, brilliant engineering minds I've ever met. He's had yeah. three or four companies since then. I mean, just very successful in everything he does. Um, but to see the most intelligent engineering scientific mind I knew kneeling before the Eucharist, mm-hmm. that did not convert me, but it gives a person pause that I have all the respect in the world for this man. And he is taking this that seriously. Right. To to the the messy family, right? The the whole mm-hmm. everything that goes into parenting mm-hmm. and churching, 
Um, and that began uh, my conversion. The second I said yes to that call to authenticity and integrity, God then began to flood my life with, with many, many good Christian men and women. Right. And I began to have these conversions uh, because I had to question my own worldview. I say God doesn't exist, but why? You know, it's my bias. And so just like all researchers, I'm a qualitative researcher by training. Mm. So, you know, you've got to test your theory. And so as I pressed on that and got deeper into the study of religion and spirituality, well, it makes more sense to believe in God than not to believe in God. Actually, to be an atheist, it requires a, an enormous amount of faith mm -hmm. to be an atheist, mm -hmm. to deny all of the miracles, to deny all of Revelation, to deny what nature presents to us as impossible. Right. Um, and, you know, and I pointed out too, somebody made the point before me, but it was like, you know, 90-something percent of the world, I know in this country maybe it's 70 to 80 yeah. percent are atheists, but globally more people believe. So we're going to say, you atheists, you know, we're the crazy, kooky Catholics, right. irrational, but you all are right and... 90-something percent of the world is wrong, right? Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, it, so so all of that ties together into the different isms and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And so I, I went I went from agnostic to spiritual. I was one yeah. of those spiritual people for a while right. and uh, studied all the isms, agnostic, I'm not agnosticism, um, Hinduism, Taoism, Buddhism, all that business. Did your boss pressure you much? None, no pressure at all. It's just invitations. Yeah. Just yeah. simple invitations. Would you like to come to church with us this weekend? No? Okay, fine. Next weekend? Think about it next weekend. So the integrity part would be, you would talk about Christianity, but you weren't living it, kind of? Is that what he meant? Yeah, or? well, it would be like, I would see someone wearing a uh, cross, uh -huh. and I'd be like, oh, God bless you. And he's yeah. like, and he's basically saying, why are you saying that? <laughs> because why, because you, don't, I mean, you don't believe right, in what right. you're saying. You're, you're basically trying to manipulate someone. Yeah, yeah. And you're trying to be someone that you're not, and right. so... You know, and part of it was a business thing is that, listen, when we deal with people, we're going to be as authentic and integral as we possibly can. Right, right. And if you don't believe, then don't say, God bless you, yeah, if you don't believe yeah. in God. Right. You know, let's just not do that. Yeah. And so. Um, so he got yeah. your reading, too? Is that, uh, that, that was Those were other people. That was, wow. uh, it was actually a Baptist church. Mm. Um, in my conversion to spiritual, uh, uh, I began to, to look at all the world religions and um, of all the world religions, Christianity is the only one where its founder claimed to be God. Mm -hmm. Everyone else is just the founder or a prophet or something, yeah. but not God. Mm -hmm. And so that's either a true or false statement. And so I pursued that to find that answer. And um, basically, it's the, the work of C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity that, uh, you know, he's either Lord, liar, or lunatic that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, basically sets yeah. it out. and. Yeah. Uh, as I studied that, come to know that Christ is Lord, then I begin to ask the question, which church is true? Does it matter? You know, does it matter? If, even if you go to church, does God even care? Right. And so I began to ask those questions. And uh, it was Hyde Park Baptist Church in Austin, Texas. Mm. Uh, still not sure that I believed in God. But this youth minister said, if you want to change your life forever for the positive, I want you to do this. I want you to go home and open up the New Testament and read one chapter of the New Testament every day for the next two months. And if you doubt God's existence, start in the Gospel of John. Mm. And so I took the challenge. I went home and started reading one chapter every day for that two-month period. And sure enough, it changed my life. Really? Yeah. 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 I think it's a great irony yeah. is that we owe the Baptist Church a debt of gratitude <laughs> for my vocation as a Catholic priesthood. 
I remember asking a friend one time that uh, he's Catholic, and I said, "How come you don't read the Bible more?" I was just curious, and he said, "Because I don't understand it." Well, that's fair. And did you you didn't have that trouble when you read? Oh it? no, I, I, I had <laughs> no idea what I was doing, but I was committed. Uh, I'm not smart, but I'm determined. Yeah. <laughs> you, can, you can outthink me, but not outwork me a lot of times. So. Um, uh, no, I, I didn't know what I was reading. It. I didn't yeah. understand it, but it doesn't matter mm-hmm. because it's the living word of God. Mm-hmm. And it's if you go in it to find him, you're going to encounter not only him, but yourself in his presence. Mm-hmm. And that's what began to happen is up to this point in my life, my identity was rooted in what I did, my uh-huh. work, my profession, my status, the money I made. It had nothing to do with who I was. Mm-hmm. And I never had that opportunity to see myself through his eyes. And again, it wasn't immediate. It took yeah. time. But as I read the scriptures, I began to encounter him. I'm a night person. I'm not a morning person. So I would read the chapter right before I would go to bed. And as I would turn the lights off, I would lay there in bed, kind of just talking to God about what I just read. Mm. And the meditations, the inspirations, the insights, the like I was being taught by God himself mm. and it, it changed everything mm. because because Jesus Christ went from an abstract concept to the God who's out there yeah. to now the God who is talking to me. Yeah. Very hey, powerful. Yeah. I, I was just talking to a, a guest we had here at EWTN and he was saying his conversion story was he was born and raised Catholic and then you know he walked away from it and embraced like a hedonistic yeah. lifestyle. And some stuff happened and it brought him back and he started reading everything because he believed in God now, but he wasn't sure where to go. And and you know he's reading all this Eastern stuff and everything and he said what he saw was that it was all about you know like man's quest for God that they were going to do this to find God. He said in Christianity. He saw the opposite, like God was just coming down to earth yes. to us. Yes. And what it was more about what he was doing for us than yeah. what we do. And uh I thought that was you know, all these encounters and surprises in the faith and you know, they're dropping nets, you know, fishing and all this, you know. It's uh pretty sudden. Yeah. How God comes to us, I mean, that's really I mean that's so the answer to, to why be Catholic is mm-hmm. is very much that. Mm-hmm. Because God came to us. I mean, when you look at the Jewish roots of our faith and what it means to be Jewish, mm-hmm. like if you were to sun- summarize what it meant to be Jewish, people would would say, Oh, it's the law, it's the mm-hmm. no, no, not at all. To truly be Jewish meant that we were the people of the presence of God. Mm-hmm. Every other world religion at that time would point to a hill or a shrine, and that's where you would go up to go to God. Mm. But our God came to us, first Mm. in the burning bush, then through the fire out of Egypt, right? The presence in the tabernacle. Then the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And then Christ leaves us His real presence in the Eucharist. Right. Right? And so, so... to be Jewish was to be the people of the presence of God. God chose us, not them, right? Here in the South, we say God chose y'all, not all y'all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, so it was a select group that God chose to be in a covenant relationship with him. And each covenant continued to grow and grow and grow. And, and so that's the beautiful thing about Catholicism. It's the fullness of the continuity and the fullness of, the, of revealed faith given to us in the proper context 
of all of the Old Testament covenants that were rendered obsolete. Mm -hmm. We're not Old Testament people. Those are rendered obsolete. Mm -hmm. But rather they hid in them all of the things that would be revealed in the new universal and eternal covenant mm -hmm. and that there's not going to be another one after this. Mm -hmm. Like this is it. And so... You know, one thing I come by, a theme I like too, is that Abraham and Sarah are infertile. Yeah. So God's raising up a nation. So he's creating his people, right? It's not yeah. even like he's going out to find the best worldly group of people. He yeah. forms them. And, you know, Jewish was connected to that lineage. You know, you belong to that, that God. I remember it was shocking to me when I learned like years ago that, you know, most of modern day Israel is atheists like something like 70 80 yeah, percent yeah. and i'm like your whole existence and everything is rooted in god <laughs> have you have you guys don't believe yeah this. right yeah how do you like you're on the holiest spot on the planet how i'm begging you, I'm begging you. Yeah. so what's what is what's the definition of covenant so covenant is to create a family-like bond and so there's a natural covenant and a supernatural covenant the clearest example is holy matrimony where one man and one woman come together in total self-gift one to the other. And when we cooperate with that total self-gift of one to the other, there are blessings. When we are not faithful to that, there are consequences. And if we break covenant, there's even a curse attached to that, right? Mm. And so from the supernatural perspective, God comes to us, He chooses us, and He says, I want to be in this relationship with you. Please do this, don't do that. Mm -hmm. If we keep those things, there are blessings. If we violate them, there are consequences and ultimately a curse mm -hmm. if we totally break covenant, which is eternal damnation, right? Mm -hmm. um, the deprivement of eternal beatitude. So at the heart of covenant is this notion that God wants to be in a relationship with us. Right. But from a Christian perspective, the word covenant is the most important and many of our Protestant brothers and sisters miss it. They say that Christ gave us the Bible, but he didn't. You know, when Paul wrote the Thessalonians, Thessalonians and Galatians, he didn't know he was writing scripture. Mm. I'm pretty sure he would have not said, you stupid Galatians. Like he would have <laughs> right, picked his yeah, words back. Yeah. So they're saying that Christ gave us the Bible, which is a product of the church, the product of the covenant. But we know Christ gave us a covenant because at the Last Supper in all the synoptic gospels and then referenced in the foot washing of John, 3, um, John 13, is covenant theology. And Christ says, take this all of you and drink it. This is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, mm -hmm. right? And so this whole notion of covenant, which Jeff Cavins unpacks masterfully in The Great Adventure, The Bible Timeline. Mm -hmm. um, if your listeners haven't heard The Bible Timeline by Jeff Cavins, mm -hmm. pick it up. I know Father Mike Schmidt used that as the basis for Bible in a Year. But he masterfully goes through and shows how covenant started. And I'm, I might not get his language proper exactly right, but the first major Old Testament covenant is with Adam and Eve after the fall, mm -hmm. to Noah, to Abraham, to Moses, to David, to Solomon, then the, to Christ, right? Mm -hmm. Well, if you imagine a dartboard, it starts with Adam and Eve, a couple, mm -hmm. to Noah and his family, to the tribe of Abraham, to the nation with Moses, to the kingdom of David, to the nation kingdom of Solomon, and then the universal covenant of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so incrementally, each covenant grows and grows and grows and grows. Mm -hmm. uh, Jeff Cavins does a masterful job of showing how every Old Testament covenant had a similar skeletal structure, mm -hmm. meaning that there was always a priesthood. 
There was liturgical acts. There were days of feasting, days of fasting. Um, there were ways to make atonement for sins. If you break covenant, how do you get back into relation? Mm -hmm. Right? And so that existed in all of those other ones. So too should it exist in this new one. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that, that's really at the heart of what we're dealing with here of covenant. Yeah, that's a great point about, yeah, when you break the covenant, there's ways back. There's yeah. atonement that can be made. Right. And, and all the sacrifices are types, prefigurements of Christ's sacrifice that he fulfills all these Old Testament images and acts and right. Calvary. And uh, yeah. I guess we take it for granted, but yeah, the notion of sacrifice and sin and getting right with God. Repentance. Repentance. I mean, you think about our Protestant brothers and sisters who, who really po poke at us mm -hmm. for going to confession to a priest, right? They say, why don't you confess your sins directly to God? Right. Well, it's a Catholic practice to make a daily examination of conscience and to make an act of contrition. Right. So we do that, but then we, we fulfill the sacramental side of it, which God has given us, John 19, 20, mm -hmm to go to the priest for confession, which is filled with the Holy Spirit, God right. himself, right? But when you, you think about our Protestant brothers and sisters, when they commit big sins, what do, what do you do? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm sorry. Right. Or you recognize you're wrong and you go on about your day? Yeah. I mean, where's where's the renewal of repentance? I mean, this right. whole notion of once saved, always saved is very, very dangerous. Yeah. It lets you off the hook on future repentance. In my understanding, like what St. Thomas taught about the sacrament of confession, too, is that the grace of it was to perfect our contrition, to make it a perfect contrition, that yeah. there is no, I don't know what the word is now, I guess there is no real conversion or salvation without that perfect contrition. And you think how, fall how, how we can fall short of that. I mean, the church teaches, right, imperfect contrition is sufficient to go to confession. That sure. I just have a fear of hell or whatever I'd been taught to do this. And, um, and you know, but I guess the older I get too, I just, you just realize how, how much our motives can be so self-centered and not really, not really out of charity. Right, right. right. So we need these sacraments to, to perfect that. To hold you accountable, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they give you the grace to be better. Yeah. You know, I, I remember one time I was attending a, a Protestant funeral, and I love to go. Just we have a number of employees are Protestant, and here at WTN, and um, I love the preaching and stuff. You know, mm -hmm. they got good preaching. But I remember this this one guy was going after, you know, the works, and I don't know if he mentioned Catholic by name, but he, mm -hmm. like the sacraments and all the stuff. And I, I it hit me and all that when he was preaching. I said, you know, this is my view of it. It's like. In the sacraments, we're letting Jesus work on us. It's not like our work. I mean, the, the heavy lifting here is yeah. Jesus, the mystery of Christ, his sacrifice at the Eucharist and, you know, Mass and, you know, his forgiveness of sins through yeah. the Paschal mystery again at the confession. It's like we're being poured upon. Yeah. Yeah, it's really a silly argument when you, when you, when you break it down. I mean, it's yeah. easy to throw those stones, but when you really look at it and, you know, yeah. It, it yeah, well, we're saying apart. it's an encounter with Christ. Yeah, yeah so yeah, exactly. it's his doing. Yeah. So, like, when you give your retreats, you you talk about the covenants, mm -hmm. and then you talk about how these into Christianity. And yeah, so so basically, it's a four day program, and it starts with uh, the the question of why be Catholic, and we go through um, 
uh, salvation history in terms of the covenant theology. Mm -hmm. And we just break down the basics of covenant theology. What is covenant? What are the elements of that? And then the fulfillment of that. And then Peter as the, you know, remember at the end there, they were in a kingdom structure. And so Mm -hmm. Christ is a king. In every kingdom, there's a prime minister. And so we talk about Mm -hmm. the role of Peter as as being the prime minister to Mm -hmm. Christ, right? Mm -hmm. The prime minister to the king. Uh, And then we transition the second day into biblical apologetics on the Eucharist, the Blessed Virgin Mary, and confession to a priest. Mm -hmm. Uh, The third day is uh, obstacles to healing because of all of the healings that Jesus did. And we talk about the two obstacles to healing, but we also have a Eucharistic healing service. And And then the two obstacles, what are they? uh, Attachment to sin and unforgiveness. And there are many obstacles, but those are the two big ones that stand out. And what, what do you tell people about forgiving? What, is, what does that mean to forgive? I get that question sometimes. <laughs> well, well, so it's a choice to say, this person hurt me. Mm-hmm. Please don't hold that sin against them. Mm-hmm. Right? It, the easiest way to forgive are Jesus' words as he hung upon the cross. Right. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Right. And uh, I remember saying that to a woman one time uh, whose daughter was murdered. And she looked at me and she said, Father, they knew exactly what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Like, this wasn't an accident. They hurt my girl. Mm-hmm. And as we talk through it, you know, you look at what Christ said and when he said it. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't say, Father, forgive them when he was in the field, you know, multiplying loaves and fish. Like, mm-hmm. he was just nailed to a cross yeah. with the chief priest who conspired for two and a half years to kill him were mm-hmm. there. And so if Jesus says this about them, how much more can we say that not only about people in our lives but even ourselves because the hardest person to forgive often is yourself right and so to forgive is not to say what that person did was okay or what i did was okay but it's asking our lord do not hold this offense against them lord rather give them the grace for the necessary conversion Mm. yeah i have a funny story about Mm -hmm. smiting someone Mm -hmm. that a person in my life and they were like lord I want you to smite this, but he was really hurt. He was angry. He goes, because I want you to smite him. Lord, just smite like Old Testament mm. smitting, smiting. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, he goes soberly, he heard our Lord say, I will do it. Mm-hmm. But then equally, as he heard the words, I, I will do it, he saw across his mind, the mercy you give will be the mercy you receive. Mm. And he said, okay, Lord, I want you to smite him with your mercy. <laughs> He goes, but I want tears. I want tears of contrition out of this guy. But uh, yeah, so but it's it's about leaving the justice end of it to God and and allowing allowing yourself to be separated from the experience and giving it to God and letting Him handle it. Right. And the the attachment to sin. I guess like sin wounds us. And, sin wounds yeah. us, but but when I talk about attachment to sin, I'm not talking about the sins that we're we're trying to get over, right? Mm-hmm. I'm talking about the sins that we're not sorry for. Mm-hmm. Um, the way we vote, the way we um, choose to live our Catholic ideology in light of our American identity, mm-hmm. right? Um, one of the questions I like to ask, are we American Catholics or Catholic Americans? Mm-hmm. And... An American Catholic is one who is compartmentalized. Their Catholic faith is one thing among many in their citizenship here on earth Mm -hmm. as a U.S. citizen. But a Catholic American is one who lives his American citizenship in the light of his citizenship that is in heaven. Mm -hmm. And he orients his thinking, his voting, his morality, the TV shows that he watches, the, the, the way he speaks, 
all according to the mind of Christ in that moral uh, light. Right. Let me jump back to the covenants. Do people ask you in about like the covenant with Noah and his promise you know, not to destroy the earth again? Yeah, uh, that's a great one. He yeah. said he wouldn't flood the earth again. <laughs> wouldn't flood the earth again, yeah. yeah. Yeah, people say, well, we, there's still fire, right? We can still use fire. fire. We, we got, there's lots of options. There's, or you just leave it to our own demise. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll blow ourselves up. I mean, yeah. I mean, if God takes his hands off this, the steering wheel any further, we're, we're going we're gonna to wipe ourselves off the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. God's going to have nothing to do with it. And the heart of the meaning of that covenant, what, what is it? For Noah? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that's a good question. I, I'd have to reflect on that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it's always been kind of a mysterious one to me. That uh, what does it mean? But well, I think it ties into the secrets of baptism, right? Yeah. The the washing and renewing, right? All things will be made new, mm-hmm. total regeneration, total new life. Mm-hmm. But yet, you still have the historical memory of what it was that you li- you came from. Right. And so for an adult who gets baptized, yes, they are clean from original sin and all temporal punishment due to sin, but they may have muscle memory from the past. Right. That if they struggled with a particular sin, that that's, that may still be a struggle for them in the future. Yeah. So yeah. it's not a magic eraser, but it's an opportunity for a new beginning. Right. So that would be my on-the-spot best answer. And maybe part of that too in there is just like repentance and dying to ourselves. I always think about like, you know, the Israelites, you know, battling our way through, you know, cleansing the Holy Land or mm-hmm. attempting to and how, you know, all sins got to go. You know, we got to die to ourselves. you know, if we yeah. have this new life in Christ. Man. And that's in baptism itself, right? The, the right. water part, part of the symbolism is death. The right. Catechism talks about that we have to die to ourselves. Well, I mean, even even this going through Israel, like you know, waging war. I'm like, if we were to take that mentality to wage war on sin in our own lives and take it as seriously right. as as Christ does, mm-hmm. I mean, that'd be life changing. I, I would love to have that grace to to take yeah. sin as seriously as Jesus does. Um, but just all too often, we get comfortable with it, and and yeah. we forget that we need to fight harder, yeah. and we need to do. And rely on His grace, of course, but we need to do our part to avoid sin. And right. In the world we live in today, it's just so difficult. So, yeah, to be all in on it, kind of thing. And uh, yeah, you know, I don't know, this is a topic in your retreats, but something I've been thinking about more too is, you know, I'll see like a, a devout family, and even like in the natural world, kind of that. When people do things well, it's like they focus on that thing. You know, they say no a lot to other things. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. And it's right. Because like, yeah, I, I feel like, you know, you get, when you get so distracted, you know, just like the internet, and there's always great stuff to read on the internet, news sources, or this article, or whatever. And it's like, you, you just feel. But just to come, Mother talked about, Mother Angelica talked about this all the time, like the present moment, Mm. you know, and just to focus on, you know, we're here now and just, you know, push the distractions aside. I try to think of this now in prayer when I begin prayer. It's like, okay, I'm going to pray the office. You know, I'm going to read these words. This is what I'm doing now. I'm pushing everything else. Some reason it really helped me just to do a little thought beforehand, you know, and just to focus on, 
Well, you know, what's in front of it? And it's so it's so funny. The uh, self help world has picked up on that and, mm -hmm. and run with it. They call it intentionality. Right. You know, in right. in the the technical definition, the philosophical definition of intentionality is the awareness that you are aware. Mm. Right. So I'm praying in my office right now, and I'm yeah. going to be present to that. Right. Um, but uh, but you know, again, what the church lays down, the world picks up, and it's a, yeah. it's as great. It's a natural virtue to take on. Yeah. But when you supernaturalize it. And allow yourself to be present to God. Um, right. One of the prayers I love saying before I celebrate Mass is, Lord, help me be present to you as you are present to us. Yeah. I mean, I want yeah. that grace. I want to be all in. Right. right. And it's life-changing when you get there. Yeah. Yeah, because I, you know, they, yeah, like the secular world's even talking about, you know, just noticing, this, you know, just your feeling, your five senses. What are they picking up right now? Right. Just to kind of, put you where your feet are at right now and just I, I, th I think the virtual world the screens world it just gets us in this frenetic kind of pace and just uh, we lose that grounding in the here and now and uh, I mean even like today I had like a long day today and I was just kind of anxious and I just put in this piece of classical music that I like and I just focused on listening to the beauty of this music yeah. That's great, and I, I feel like okay, I can I can breathe again. <laughs> yep, <laughs> <You know>? yep, <clears throat> yep. So. Something to help reorient and just stop the noise. Yeah, yeah, it did. Yeah, just to focus on something. Yep, that's what you do. Yeah. Well, and it's beauty. It's it, that's the you know yeah. the you got the two doors: the door of mm -hmm. truth and the door of beauty, and mm -hmm. and uh, you're you're encountering the omnipotence of God through that beauty. Yeah. Now, uh, one of the things you talk about is the Blessed Mother and answering questions or challenges yeah. <laughs> what do you tell people about <laughs> I, I used to give the whole theological spiel on on mary is the ark mary mm -hmm. is you know the new eve um queen of heaven all that business mm -hmm. now i'm so over it uh I, um I, I just when people say why do you pray to mary i, I say not only why do i pray to mary but let me tell you why you need to pray to mary mm -hmm. the reason is because you owe her mm -hmm. every christian owes the blessed virgin mary minimum one prayer I'm sorry for what I did to your son, and I'm sorry for what I did to you. Because when we look at a crucifix, I did that. That's on me. Mm -hmm. And any Christian can't deny that their sins put Christ there. Right. And so not only did my sins kill Christ, but they'll say, Jesus freely chose it. You're correct. Mm -hmm. But did Mary? Mm -hmm. See, we deprived a woman of her son. We traumatized a woman. Mm -hmm. we, we put that woman in the most traumatic environment possible. Crucifixion was the most gruesome thing. And I, I, I hurt her because of what I did. Right. And now, if, if we did something in the natural realm to someone's kid, they die. And instead of the police taking us to jail, they take us to the hospital. And we're all in the hospital. The whole family there is lamenting the loss of their child. And then all of a sudden the child rises from the dead, right? There's going to be much rejoicing. But the mom and dad's not going to come out and say, Oh, Father Ken, good news. You killed our kid, but he's alive. It's okay. Have a great day. Right? Right, right. I mean, the reality is, is that yeah. when you hurt someone, when you do something wrong, right. you need to say, I'm sorry. Yeah. And so that's the heart of number one, mm -hmm. is that 
we killed her son. We hurt her. We owe her an apology for what we did to her. Number two is that the whole covenant thing creates a family-like bond. Mm -hmm. And through Calvary, two things happen. Our redemption and our divine adoption. Undisputable realities. Our redemption and divine adoption. And so through the blood of Jesus Christ, God becomes our father. Jesus becomes our brother. And if God is our father and Jesus is our brother, who is our mother? Right. Right? Yeah. So, so it creates this family relationship. And we're not making Mary equal to the Trinity. She's the, the crown of creation. Mm-hmm. She's a created being. She's a human person like you and I, with all ways but mm-hmm. sin. But do we have time? Can I tell you the story sure, of Assumpta sure. Greta? Mm-hmm. Do you know the, the story of Alexandra when he got released from prison? Mm-hmm. So Maria Goretti is assaulted by uh, Alexandra, right? Mm-hmm. He's trying to rape her. And he stabs her with a nice pick 14 times. On her deathbed, they say, do you forgive him? And she says, yes, yes, I want Alexandra to be in heaven with me. And she dies. Mm-hmm. While Alexandra's in prison, Maria appears to him, giving him 14 lilies, which leads to his conversion. The part of the story most people don't know is that when Alexandra is released from prison, it's December 24th, the day of Christmas Eve, right? Mm-hmm. And he goes to the parish looking for a handout and something to get established. He knocks on the door of the parish, and who opens the door but a Santa Goretti, Maria's mother. Right. And there's the six-foot-something murderer. Oh, he was a big guy. He was a big guy. He was six-something, and she was like 5'2". She was a tiny woman. And he's standing there, hat in hand, in front of this woman. And he Mm -hmm. looks at her and says, Can you ever forgive me for what what I did to Maria, for what I've done to you? Mm -hmm. And a Santa says... God has forgiven you, Maria has forgiven you, and I forgive you. Mm. But she didn't stop there. Mm. It was reported all throughout the region that that night at midnight mass, mm-hmm. Asanta and Alexandro sat in the pew arm in arm. Wow. And when it came time for Holy Communion, she escorted him down the aisle to the communion rail and arm in arm received Holy Communion together. Wow. And so it's as if she lost a daughter but gained a son. Yeah. And the Blessed Mother does the same thing with us. Mm. Let me sit with you. Let me lead you to my son so you can know him, so you can be in communion with him. Mm. And I'm going to hold you extra close so we don't kill him again. Mm. Right? Right? I'm just going to keep you extra close so we don't do that one again. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I, yeah, something, I I had heard this from someone else, but it, it struck me too that, you know, I feel like the Blessed Mother really, you know, called me, just a vital part of my converging experience yeah. and call me back into, de- or into deeper faith and and I like you know in my sin though it's like I'm like I'm casting away these graces she obtained for me mm. and some reason I mean certainly you think about the crucifix it's the same idea there and he's the source of all grace but I don't know, some reason it was powerful for me to think of it in terms of that that I feel like the mother Blessed Mother has gone out of her way <laughs> to help me in an extraordinary way, yeah. in a beautiful way. And, and am I gonna, I'm going to throw these aside. You know? yeah. And I, De Montfort talks about how she helps us to hold on to the grace that we've been given. But I don't, for some reason, that was inspiring to me to pray you know, that we can hold on to these graces to remember what she's done for us, how mm-hmm. she's interceded for us. And, um, and it, 
she's given to us from the cross. You know, when yeah. these graces are being won for us, yeah. he entrusts her to, uh, she entrusts us to him, really. yeah. I mean, us to her. Yeah. And uh, so at the heart of redemption. Um, what on the, like the new covenant in ways that it's the fulfillment and better than the old covenant, how do you describe that to people, the reality of what Jesus is doing for us, that bond he's making with us? Um, well, it's not going from iPhone 12 to iPhone 14. So let's, <laughs> let's, uh, it's not an incremental progression to just making something better. Right. Um, so so we, you know, we talk about Old Testament typology, Old Testament prefigurement, that all of the things that God planned for salvation history are uh -huh. hidden in the old and revealed in the new. Mm -hmm. And so in light of that, when we look at what Christ came to do in the new universal covenant was like presence, for example, right? His presence was there in the cloud, in the glory crowd, right? That, that descended, that hovered above the ark mm -hmm. of the covenant, right? Well, so then he comes in the person of Christ, but then he leaves us his body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. And so he, he keeps his promise to have never have abandoned us, to leave his, his presence here. And so, you know, really at the end of the day, the perfection of this, to create a universal covenant that is accessible everywhere. You know, for the Jews, it's one geographic spot. It was mm -hmm. Jerusalem. And it wasn't just Jerusalem. It was a holy of holies in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. That's where the presence of God is. Mm -hmm. In this new perfect covenant, the presence of God is wherever the Eucharist is reserved or the Mass is celebrated. Mm -hmm. And so it perfects what was there in portion previously. Right. Through faith and repentance, we can have these covenantal blessings. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I, I talk about confession mm -hmm. in that way as well because, you know, the very Jewish roots of confession. So in the Old Testament, when you sinned, you had to offer a sin offerings. Mm -hmm. And the merit, the blood of that animal had to be applied to the sins of the individual, right? Mm -hmm. Well, in the universal covenant, so again, if we're talking about going from covenant to covenant and the principles remain the same, the merits of the sacrifice have to be applied to the individual for them to be free of those sins. Yeah. So at our baptism, right, it, we know that there's one perfect sacrifice. There's no re-sacrifice. It's not many. It's one, one perfect sacrifice. But yet through the sacraments, the merits of Calvary are able to be applied to the souls of individuals. And so when a person comes to confession, it's as if Father's fingers act as a scalpel that cuts through time and space and opens up this, this icon, this window between this person and Calvary. And all of the blood and water that flows from the side of Christ flows over that individual. The entirety of the graces of Calvary are applied to one individual soul at every individual confession. It's, it's, it's as if you were the only person who lived and Christ mm -hmm. died for you and you alone mm -hmm. so that you could be washed and reunited to covenant. Yeah. Yeah, and when you speak of it that way too, it's just like, just come, you know? Yes. I, I, I was at a parish. I don't know if I mentioned this now, but I was, I, I was in this parish and I was, I like to invite people to go to confession after mass. You know, I'm a visiting priest. I can make it available. And, um, and I, I said in the homily, just just come. I, I know everybody, you're worried. What are you going to say? And, all, and you know, we have to examine our conscience and all that. There's proper preparation. But just just come. We'll talk about it. You know, you haven't been in a long time. Yeah. You know, because I think we miss that sign. This is God working on us. It's him lavishing his grace on yeah. us. 
And it's like we need to be revived by that sacrament. You know, yes. you might be trapped in sin and you might feel like you don't have the strength to get up or to get out of it. Well, give God a chance here in the sacrament to breathe some life into you, to resurrect you and get yeah. you going again. Yep. And uh, I, I, you know, I, I know offering Mass is like the greatest thing that the priest can do, but it's my most powerful experiences to me seem to be in the confessional, really. It's just like you just see the reality of yeah. God at work. Yeah, my, mine as well. Yeah. It's unbelievable yeah. what we get to see. It's, yeah. it's truly privileged. Yeah. And what is, uh, what is some advice you would give to people today to, to bring this message to others? How, to, how can we tell others why they should be Catholic? Do you? Well, I, I think just the invitation um, to love, mm -hmm. right? To, uh, again, what are we, what's the end game? You know, literally at the end of the day, the only important thing in life is to get to heaven. Mm -hmm. You know, in, in the affluent world we live in today, there, is, there are a million stories of celebrities, of movie stars, and forget religion, mm -hmm. that had it all. And they talk about how miserable they were having the money, the dreams. Of, uh, they were miserable. And it wasn't until they found God or until they mm -hmm. started finding substantial reality that life began to make sense. Mm -hmm. And so all of this shows that we're not made for this world, that we're made for heaven. And so the punchline to why be Catholic is because it's true. Mm -hmm. And so the invitation is, is for those of us who are listening, who are Catholic to really dive into our faith, to know our faith. Yeah. For anyone who's listening, who's not Catholic is, I encourage you to look at the early church father, the first century, the second century, the third century Christians, right? Before the Bible existed, the Bible didn't exist until the 400s, mm -hmm. early 400s. Mm -hmm. So, um, you can't have a Bible-only church for the first 400 years. Mm -hmm. So look at what those first, second, third century Christians taught. Yeah. Read Ignatius of Antioch. Read Jerome. Read um, all of the, you know, there's so many available. Yeah. Augustine, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know. Yeah, they had a weightiness to them and their commentary on Scripture, too. Oh, so my powerful. goodness. But, uh, That's what we rely on today. Yeah. Well, Father Ken, thank you so much uh, for talking with us, and uh, thanks for coming and working at EWTN this week. It's thanks for having me. It's been great time. Thanks.